Good morning. My privilege this morning, I get to introduce Pastor John. Uh, he pastored here for five years back in the early 90s. And uh, come on up, John. You can get a look at you. <laughs> I think they're going to get a look at me anyway, but that's okay. Yeah, he and his wife, Christine, uh, are here, and they raised their four children here back in the early 90s. They have a real soft spot for our church. They check on us all the time, wondering how we're doing. And I think there's Facebook involved. Christine does. and Yeah, so they have a real heart for us. And, and when I asked John if he would be willing to speak, he said, I'd love to. Sure. So, thanks, John. Okay. Well, I need this. You don't? Nope. Well, hello, everyone. And, uh, you know, standing up here really kind of brings back a lot of memories for me. Uh, when you preach almost every week for five years, that's a, a lot of your life invested in, in one church. And uh, it's just uh, wonderful to, to be here and to have the privilege again uh, to speak at Erickson Covenant Church. Now, I have a question. Um, just looking out, I see some familiar faces, but how many people, we were here from 1991 to 96, how many people started attending after 1996? Raise your hands. All right, that's what I thought. And uh, so, to me, standing up here, it all's coming back again, you're visitors. So, so welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. And we want you to feel comfortable and after the service to have a cup of coffee with us and to just enjoy yourself and so that I have an opportunity to meet you. I said something like that back then. I can't remember exactly what I, what I said. But um, from here, we went on. Uh, Christine is a Canadian citizen. I'm an American citizen, born and raised in Boston. Um, we went on and moved on down to Indianapolis, where from 1997 to 2008, where we served in two or three different churches. And then our last church was out in New Jersey, Collingswood, New Jersey, where we served uh, for five years. And now we've moved to Arizona, and we're retired, whatever that means. Uh, we're trying to figure that out. But um, we're just kind of waiting on God to see what kind of ministries he wants us to be involved in during this stage of our lives. What I would like to do uh, this morning uh, is to give you three guiding principles that really have served us well in over 40 years of ministry. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't completely aware of these principles or that I was following them at first, but as I've looked back, I think these three principles, um, we haven't done them perfectly, but we've tried our best to keep them and to keep them in balance. And they have really led us to have successful ministry wherever we've gone. And you say, well, that's fine for you, but they're good for you as well. If you will take these seriously and you will follow them 
and take them to heart, they will do you well in your marriages, in your families, in your small groups, at work, and yes, here in Erickson Covenant Church. So let's begin. Let me uh, just pray. Father in heaven, I, I just thank you. It, it's, a, it's a meaningful time for me uh, just to stand up here and uh, to be able to preach um, here again at the church. I, I thank you for each person here, uh, for those that have been here for more than 18 years and for those who are here less. I pray that as I speak, my words will be an encouragement to them, a challenge, and will also bring them hope. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work in me, through me, and in this place this morning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one thing that I have valued as an important part of my ministry over the years is consistency. In providing leadership in churches, I have learned that a church must stand firm on its principles. And hopefully, those principles are biblical principles. It's so important that a church and its leadership deal with problems. And yes, churches have problems. And with issues and with people in a consistent manner. We can see throughout the Bible the folly of playing favoritism, the practice of dealing more favorably with one church member or attendee over another. In the book of James, we read this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, say, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, wow, I'm glad you're here. Here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, now, you, you stand over there out of the way or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And then James adds this, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as being lawbreakers. So being consistent and treating people fairly is essential in running a church. When this principle is violated, problems arise. And interpersonal and church conflict is the result. Now please understand this. Dealing with people on a consistent, biblical basis 
is sometimes not so easy. In fact, it's much easier to compromise this approach when leading a church. And here is the reason why. Our ultimate goal should be to run the church so that it is pleasing to God. And get this, what is pleasing to God is not always pleasing to some churchgoers. In these cases, it's important that the church leadership holds its ground. It must remember that the head or the boss of our church is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always under obligation to carry out His marching orders. And Jesus expects us to carry them out consistently with no favoritism, with no discrimination. And that's whether some people may like it or not. Now, this has been my experience. And we have been involved and are part of our ministry over the last 20 to 25 years has been helping churches in conflict. Not that we planned it, but God just seemed to call us to these churches to help us stabilize them, set them in a direction so that they could get on doing ministry for the kingdom of God. And the good news is this, that this is what I have found, that most people respond very favorably to a church that is run on principles of love, compassion, and biblical consistency. And please understand that these three principles go together. When followed, they will result in a church that is unified, that a church that is together, and in a church that is able to maintain a positive ministry direction. But never forget this. We must be vigilant in being biblically consistent in dealing with people and issues. It may occasionally result in some people not liking it, in some people leaving the church and going elsewhere. And when that happens, it's okay. The Lord is much more pleased with a church that is unified that in a church that is together than in one that is divided and where conflict reigns. Now, in saying all these things, I have summarized a significant part of my practical ministry approach. In all the churches that I have served, I have been known as a pastor who has held the biblical line. And all these churches, I do believe, have been better off for it. I may not have been popular with everyone, but that never has been my goal. My simple goal has been to be a leader in churches that are pleasing to God. That's what it's all about. 
Now, with all that said, my ministry approach has a theological, or if you will, a biblical basis. And what I would like to do again this morning is to share with you three great theological principles that have guided me in ministry over the years. Now, you have your bulletins or programs or whatever you call them, but on the back, take them out, you will see um, I have an outline. And I have found, because our minds tend to wander, that it's good for people to kind of track along with me. And uh, I have not given you the principles completely written out, but I would really encourage you to fill this out and after I'm finished, think about it a little bit. If you want, you can take notes as well. As the title of our message would suggest, these three great theological principles have guided my ministry. And I have done, done my best, not perfectly, but my best to remain faithful to them. So let's look at the first point in our outline. And here's the great theological principle. And they do come in a certain order. This is the starting point. If we miss this principle, we miss it all. We miss everything. And that is, we must readily receive God's grace. Now, over the years, this has not been a difficult principle for me to master. I came to grips with it long ago. At the point of my conversion as a young adult many, many years ago, when I stood in the living room of my apartment in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts in the middle of the night, I struggled mightily with God. I liken it to Jacob when he wrestled with God and his hip was dislocated. Well, fortunately for me, my hip remained intact, but my life was radically changed. Now, when you're retired, um, one of the things you start to do is look back. You know, when you're in ministry and you're working and you're busy and you're raising your kids, you don't have as much time to think. But now I have more time to think and look back. And you look at all the great events and how God has been faithful and the grace of God that has been extended to you. And uh, I was thinking of the top six events in my life. And of course, the number one event, or number two event, was meeting my wife, Christine. And we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary next year. And, um, you know, we've had a wonderful ministry partner partnership together. That was number two. Number three to six was uh, seeing my children born and seeing them grow up and raised in, in their formative years right here in Erickson. What, uh, many, many memories for me as I come back here. So that's two through six. But you know, number one far surpasses them all. That is when I met Jesus for the first time. And he changed me. And he transformed my life. And he gave me direction. And he gave me purpose. And you know, as I've thought about it, numbers two through six never would have happened 
unless I had met Jesus face to face over 40 years ago. When I put my faith in Christ, I really tasted the wonderful grace of God for the first time. It changed me. It really did. It completely changed me from the inside out. And it gave me a ministry direction and a purpose in my life. We should always welcome, welcome God's grace to us at the point of our conversions, after our conversions, and throughout our lives until the day we die. We simply can't go wrong when we are ready and eager to receive God's wonderful grace. Let's look at our first verses. They're very familiar verses from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, They're up here on the screen. Probably these verses are the most significant verses that people are familiar with the Bible in the Bible after John 3.16. And since they are, they're in a little different translation here. It might sound a little different, but it's a very good translation. And I think it would do us well, it would do us well if we read these verses together. So will you join me as I read them? God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Well, there you have it. Where did it all start? It started with God. God saved you, not because of what you did or by your own efforts. We've all heard that. But we can't stop hearing it. He saved you by His grace, by His unmerited favor. You didn't deserve us. When you believed, when you entrusted your life to Christ. And understand this, and it keeps us in the right frame of mind. It keeps us in humility. We can't take credit for this. Not one iota. It is a gift. It is a gift from God. It's not a reward for what we have done. And it's, so, it's that way so none of us can boast about our relationship with Christ and our status in the kingdom of God. In John chapter 1, verse 16, again in the New Living Translation, we are told, From His abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Another translation puts it this way. From Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. Or we have received grace piled and piled upon grace. So in light of all this, how should we be responding to God on a day-to-day basis? Let's look at our next verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, in light of all this, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God or of our God who gives out His grace. There, what will we receive? We'll receive mercy. We'll receive forgiveness. And we will find grace to help us 
when we need it most. Now, what this says to me is we, we have this tendency, and I have this tendency, we all do. We, we, we become saved, we, we, we come into the kingdom of God, and then gradually we slip into ministry and doing things in our own strength, doing things on our own. And we're not even aware of it. We're just kind of going through the motions. But what this verse says is there's grace available with God all the time. It's like a big candy store. We can come, and it says come boldly and get some. (laughs) Come boldly and receive it. We should have that attitude. Especially, especially when we're struggling. Especially when we're having difficulties at work and at home and in our marriages and with our finances and with our health. We don't try to just do it on our own then. We need to be tuned into God that there's grace available to us in those times and we have to make it a way of life to come to God and receive that grace because He wants to give it out. There's no limit to it. And when we are able to receive that grace on a regular basis, we come to know God better and our lives are changed and are the better for it. So the first great theological principle that has guided me personally and in my ministry is to be always ready and willing, always, to receive God's grace. In other words, the starting place in the Christian life is always, as we sung earlier, what Christ has done for us and what we are willing to receive from Him. Now let's move on to the next point in our outline. Upon receiving God's grace, that's not the end. That's the starting point. You don't stop there. Okay? Upon receiving God's grace, we are then under obligation to live responsibly before God. Now, we are all familiar with the cart and the horse analogy. You know how it goes. We must not put the cart before the what? The horse. Well, in our theology, the horse is the grace of God. We've just talked about that. And the cart, that is what is pulled along, is to live responsibly according to God's Word. Now, it's no good just to have the horse. And it most certainly is no good just to have the cart. We are not going anywhere for God and His kingdom with either of these scenarios. No, the consistent message from the Bible is that both the horse and the cart must be joined together with the horse leading and the cart following. In the book of James, we have some clear support For this linkage, James tells us in no uncertain terms that faith without works is dead. It is useless. In other words, 
the horse without the cart is spiritual folly. It's spiritual madness. In the book of Hebrews, we are told that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. In John's first epistle, we are told furthermore that when we are born of God, that when we have received the grace of God and we are born again by His Spirit, we must not continue in habitual sin. In other words, the biblical message is clear. The horse, which is God's grace, pulls the proverbial cart, which is living responsibly in the sight of God. Let's look at our next verse, and that's Ephesians 2.10. And if you don't notice, this is a follow-up from Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And people often stop there, but they shouldn't. Because Ephesians 2.8-10 is a complete package here. So here we have a transition in Ephesians 2.10 from verses 8 and 9. It tells us God has made us what we are by His grace. By His power, we have been changed. It starts there with the grace of God. But then he goes on to say, well, He just uh, you know, didn't save us. He didn't transform us and say, oh, my, okay. Now, John was changed there 40 years ago. Uh, what am I going to do with him? Uh, I guess I better figure out some way to use John, right? That's not what that verse says. If you have been saved by the grace of God, it says that God has had you in mind not only before your conversion, but before your birth. And the thought here is even before the world was even created. And if you think you're not worth something, think of that. God had you in mind before the worlds and the universe that He created was put in place. Wow. That gives you worth. It's not by what you do, but by how God looks at you. You are important in His sight. And what does this verse say? He made us, He created us for good works. He has things for you to do and they'll vary from person to person. They may be what great things in in the world's view, or they may be small things. It doesn't make any difference as long as you're faithful and walking in them. We need to find those good works where we're created for, walk in them. And it may be simply be just encouraging people, helping people, being a servant. Those things are just as good as getting up here preaching or singing songs. But find out what God has created you for. And walk in those good works because God planned it all in advance. Just a few moments ago, I mentioned a few biblical principles from various New Testament writers. Let's consider one of them a little bit more closely. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. And again, look up here. And would you read these verses with me? Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Now here we don't see ourselves 
so much receiving, we see ourselves working. We see ourselves in the aftermath of receiving the grace of God. And what does this writer say we should do? We should, and I think in the church this is so important, having worked with churches in conflict, you need people working together and living so that they're peacemakers and at peace with everyone, so that the church is unified, so that the church can go forward. I will tell you, because I've seen it, a church cannot do anything when a church is in conflict, because that takes up all everybody's time. It takes up the pastor's time, the leadership's time, it takes up the energy of everybody, and God doesn't have any opportunity to work in that church. So we need to be working. The most thing, subject yourself to other people. You don't have to have your way all the time. What we want is God's way. Working together so that the kingdom of God is advanced through our churches and in our community. Work at peace with everyone. And that says work at living a holy life. What does that mean? Does it mean we walk around with a sanctimonious, better than uh, everyone else attitude? Not at all. Working at living a holy life. A holy life, the word means this. That live like you are set apart by God. That God has had His hand on you and you're set apart for Him. Live that way. That it's important that you, you put God first because He set you apart. That's what it means really to live a holy life. And if you're not going to live that way, there's a warning here. Those individuals who will not live that way and who will not live their lives set apart for God, well, it makes sense. In the future, they will not see the Lord. So, it's so important that we work together. Look after each other so that none of you fails, and we go back to the horse again, none of you fails to receive the grace of God. So, it keeps coming back to the grace of God. You live responsibly. And as you live responsibly, you learn that you keep going back to God's throne of grace. So far, we have seen two great theological principles. The grace of God and living responsibly and how they work in tandem with each other. Remember, the grace of God through Christ is the horse or the engine of the Christian life. Living responsibly is the cart, or if you will, bringing it more up to date, the chassis of the Christian life. Again, living responsibly should be the result of the grace of God being at work in us. However, believe it or not, there is another important principle that must be added into the mix and is so often forgotten and so often distorted that it sometimes makes the model break down. The model that should drive our practical Christianity. So let's move on to the last point in our outline and write this down. We readily receive God's grace. Upon receiving God's grace, we live responsibly. You see the connection here. But we must live responsibly Not on our own. Not through our own efforts, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. For a fully equipped, 
horse and buggy, you also need some good wheels in order to make your ride as successful and enjoyable as possible. And the wheel mechanism in this analogy is the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's always remember that God the Holy Spirit has been sent to us by Jesus Himself. He has been sent to indwell us, to transform us from the inside and out, and to generally help us live the Christian life. In fact, Jesus actually calls the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John the Helper. The Helper. So once again, these three great theological principles should be inseparable. We can't live the Christian life effectively, and the church can't operate effectively without these three principles fitting together in a well-oiled machine, or like a well-constructed horse and buggy. Let's look at our next verse, and this is Luke 24, verse 49. And this is like a parallel verse to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is probably more familiar to us. But let's look at the more unfamiliar verse in Luke chapter 24. And it says, Jesus says here, and and the time frame is after his resurrection from, from the dead and just before he ascended into heaven. And he's looking at his disciples and he says this. Now I'm leaving you. And he says, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. Now what should they do? Should they just start running around doing ministry when Jesus went up in the air? That's not what he said. But he said, stay here in the city. And they did. They waited. They prayed for ten days before the Holy Spirit came. Wait, he says, until the Holy Spirit comes and does what? He fills you with power from on high. He fills you with power from heaven. In this verse, Jesus tells the early church that they shouldn't do anything again until they have received the power of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the Holy Spirit is just another example, and perhaps the greatest example other than the cross, of God's grace to us. And as an expression of God's grace, it must be received by faith. And the Spirit's presence and power must be continually cultivated in our lives and in the life of the church. And quite frankly, in many of our churches, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it, and it holds us back. Let's look at our last verses together. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. And this tells you the the war we're in and why we must go along with the Spirit and not according to our own strength. And so it really sinks in. Let's read these verses together. So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are consistently fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I'm not going to comment on those verses. They speak for themselves. That's why I had you read them. Let them sink in a little bit. But I want to tell you something, a story, um, about my ministry here. When we came to this church in 1991, uh, like many churches, unfortunately, it was in a state of conflict. And it was bad. And uh, I knew it when we came. I, I didn't come in with my eyes blinded. But I did feel called to come to this church. And when a church is in conflict and is having problems, you better feel called to come because you're going to have a battle on your hands. Well, we came. And, you know, really my attitude was, well, this is going to take a, a lot of time to straighten out, maybe six months to a year. Hopefully we'll stabilize. We won't lose too many people. I knew we had to come together. And coming together sometimes isn't easy for people when they're thinking one way. So we came and I listened and I kind of, one Sunday I got up here right at the beginning after I listened to everybody and I said, listen, this is, I've listened to everybody and we've got to come together. We've got to compromise with respect to worship. The worship that you have up here is very similar to the worship that uh, we settled upon uh, when we came. And there were other issues. But then something happened. I, I, it was, I was surprised by God. I really was. Because I felt, man, if I can just... There's about 80 or 85 people in the church at that time. And I thought, uh, you know, if we can get back and maybe go down, to go down a little, some people will leave. But then we can build it back up. But then something happened. And these things happen in ministry. And you can't really explain them. But we were surprised by God here. And during that conflict and out of that conflict, from 85, within one year, we grew to 160 people here. And we were sitting way back there where some of you folks are sitting and way back further than that. And it, it was great, except uh, all of a sudden I had twice as many people to care for than when I came. And uh, we had to hire on staff, and we did. And we managed it. But, but what I want to get to the point with in telling you all that is that a fellow, people heard about what was going on here. And a fellow came all the way into from Calgary just to come to the church service and to see what was happening. And he came up to me and he said, well, what did you do? What strategy did you implement uh, that this happened? Like, uh, I... Uh, put into practice Bill Hybels' principles or something. And uh, I just looked and I said, well, you know, the best thing I've done is I haven't got in the way of the Holy Spirit. I didn't quench the Spirit. No matter what people thought, I let the Holy Spirit work, and He did. And people's lives were changed and transformed. There was new life in the congregation. Other people heard of it. We went from uh, a church where there was hardly any young families to a church where there was, after a year or two, there was 50 or 60 kids. And I, I look at that, and it wasn't because of what I did, because I've been in other places, and that hasn't happened. 
But when the Holy Spirit started to work, the smartest thing I did was I didn't get in the way of God and say, well, we can't have that happening. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit works in ways we're not used to. People were coming up and confessing their sins. Oh, how unusual is that? But God was working and I didn't get in the way of it. We had services here, believe it or not, that lasted two and two and a half hours. Not, not all the time, but for a period of time because God was working and I wouldn't stand in the way of that, even though some people maybe didn't like it. So there you have it. As I leave and you stay and serve the Lord through this dear church, through this church we love, please remember these three guiding principles. Readily receive God's grace in every situation. Next, once you have received that grace, choose. Make a choice that you're going to live responsibly. And what I mean by that is that you are going to give God your best when you serve Him in your giving, in your time, and what you do. Not second and third place after your work and after your family. It doesn't work that way. Give God your best. Determine to do that right now. And your life will change, your family will change, your marriage will change, and yes, your church will change. And finally, never, never forget that you can't live responsibly on your own. You need help. We all need help. I need help, even to this day. Take advantage of the great power of the Holy Spirit who resides in you and who can come upon you and who desires to work powerfully, yes, even today in this church. If you take these three great theological principles to heart and put them into practice consistently, I am confident of this because I have seen it over and over again. I am confident that God's blessing will rest on you and on your family and on your small groups and on this church. And I am confident that God will be glorified through you, which in the end is the most important thing of all. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, um, it has been a privilege for me um, just to come here and speak to these dear people. Many of them knew who I haven't known over the years. But they're part of this church and we've been part of this church. We're, we're connected in the kingdom of God and I, I sense that connection. And I pray for them this morning. I pray that they would readily receive your grace. That they, no matter what, that they wouldn't be afraid to come to your throne of grace at any time and at anywhere, particularly when they're in trouble. And then secondly, Lord, that as they receive more and more of your grace, I pray that they would have a sense of obligation to you, to Christ, who gave his best for them on the cross, that they would have a sense of obligation to live responsibly according to God's word in the days ahead. And above all, Lord, in, in so many ways, I pray 
that the Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work here. That as they put these principles into practice, I pray that the Spirit would be poured out in many different ways in the days ahead. And people would sense that God is at work here. God is at work through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been a privilege to speak to you. May God bless you. And uh, we're going to be available up back. Come up and introduce yourself if I don't get a chance to talk with you. And uh, we look forward to coming back again sometime. Thank you.